0: Okay, I think we're set. Are we set? Judges 19. Let's pray before we begin. Father, you have had so much mercy on us, Lord. I'm just thinking, Lord, recently, just how much mercy you've had on our city, this city whose churches and seminaries and schools departed from the faith over 200 years ago. They were 150 years before everyone else, and yet here we are. Oh, how you have mercy, and, and Lord, how tonight is a story of your mercy. Your, your mercy is so wide and long and high and deep Lord sometimes it appears it appears even wrong. like why don't you judge? But Lord, your word says that your ways are above our ways. farther than the heavens or above the earth are your ways above our ways. And so I pray, Lord, in the, G- in the name of Jesus, Do surgery on our hearts. Build us up. Make us leave here tonight. Not dull-hearted Christians, but Christians with an edge, with love. That's what you want, a love with an edge. Living prophetic lives, not compromised lives. Father, do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the famous, well-known verse from the book of Judges that everyone associates the book of Judges with is, well, you can find it in a number of places, including the very last verse of the book of Judges. You don't have to turn there, but it's Judges 21, 25. It says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so that's what the book of Judges is about. And uh, it's a story, once again, if you haven't been with us in the book of Judges, when you read it, you ask yourself, why on earth is this book in the Bible? It's just so weird. It's depressing. It's discouraging. It's here. And oh, how we need to read it. And as as everyone knows uh, uh, about Calvary Chapel, that's why we really stress starting at the beginning of the Bible and going through the whole thing and not neglecting the Old Testament. It's here as a warning. It is here as a warning because We are back in the days where the rule of life in this country is the same as it was in the book of Judges. There's almost like a philosophy, a worldview that, look, you let people live according to what is right in their own eyes, and you don't force any standard on them. Well, the book of Judges is a warning of what's going to happen if we proceed in the direction that we are proceeding in. It's just so valuable of, um, of, a, of a book. And, um, you know, I was thinking as I was preparing for tonight and this whole philosophy, everyone did what is right in, in, in their own eyes. Notice how that verse at the end of the book of Judges, notice how it doesn't say everyone did what was wrong in their own eyes. Have you ever considered that? It doesn't say everyone did what was wrong in their own eyes. And and that's because there's some, there's a a, a really, it, it, it is true that two things are going on with the way that God designed man. And one of them is if they do what is wrong in their own eyes over and over and over again, their guilt will crush them emotionally. Their guilt will crush them emotionally, spiritually, and in some, some cases, physically. So what inevitably people do, because they can't bear living with the guilt, is that they convince themselves that what they're doing is not wrong, it's right. That's what the book of Judges is about. That's what we always, because living with guilt is no way to live. It affects our ability to enjoy right, life, right? Right? So if we can convince ourselves that what we're doing is not wrong, then we'll get more joy and happiness out of life, and that that is the case. <laughs> that, it, that living a lie is often times uh, happier life than living in guilt. The best thing, of course, is to live according to the standard of the Bible, to abide with Jesus. Jesus says, um, "I am the vine; you are the branches. Abide in me." You'll have life, abide in the vine. But but um uh so uh, that is um what this uh what this book is about. And and um all I can say is I, I said this, I've said this a number of times, you know, um you better buckle your seatbelts because this is not a G-rated movie tonight, these chapters. This is it's not I, I would put it worse than an R-rated movie, I hate to say it. So that's just, that is just a, a warning to you here. This, some really bad stuff um, is going to happen. Um, so with that great introduction, everyone ready to start? Judges 19. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, so during this time There's no king. There are judges. Kings. The 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 uh, a government a monarchy. In a monarchy, kings passed on the government to their son or daughter, and then them to their son and them to their son, etc., etc. In the book of Judges, there a judge would would be raised up in Israel, but when he or she died, that was it. A judge came about by the grace of God from some other area of uh, Israel and uh, rarely, if ever, was it a relative. Maybe someone can correct me on that, But um, um, except in the case of Abimelech, but I, I don't know that he was a legitimate, um, a legitimate judge. Any, anyway, let's go. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite. Now, remember, Levites were church workers. Today in the body of Christ, anyone can be a church worker. In the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, only the tribe of Levi were the workers at the tabernacle and the temple. So this guy is a church worker. Now, that's going to become important because this guy's going to do some stuff that is so bad, you're like, wow, even like a even a church worker does stuff like this? Yes, that's what, that's what happens when a nation does whatever is, is right in their own eyes. So there came to pass a certain Levite, uh, staying in the, a remote mountain of Ephraim, he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, a concubine was a practice that was accepted in the Old Testament, but never by the Lord. And remember, the only way to read the Old Testament is to read it in such a way that God is progressively bringing his people back, and he doesn't do it all at once. So certain things like this practice of having a concubine, it was accepted, but it was never endorsed. And every time you see this, uh, this type of thing, whether it's polygamy, multiple wives, in the Old Testament, it's all you it, virtually all the time in situations where they describe how the family played out, it's bad news. I mean, Jacob was one of the most miserable guys as a result of, or his misery, so much misery resulted from the fact that he had uh, multiple wives, and we've been through that. So he got himself a concubine, and again, this is a church worker, from Bethlehem in Judah. Verse 2. But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her house, to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there for whole months. So it's unclear as to whether she cheated on him, to use today's kind of language, or whether she just said, look, I, I don't like being a concubine. A concubine was more than a mistress, but it was less than a wife. It was like it's, it was a category unto itself, and perhaps she didn't like that, and she just took off, or perhaps she didn't like this guy, or p- perhaps she was um, unfaithful to him. He pay, uh, played the harlot. Verse three. Then her husband, so here it ca- he's actually called a husband <coughs> arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him to her father's house. Um, And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. So we don't know all the circumstances here, but um, remember, in those days, Israel had sunk so low that many people didn't even know right from wrong. And uh, and so he was glad to meet him. Could it have been because, wait a second, I I don't want to have to feed another mouth, more likely it was, okay, he was from a lower social class or something, and it was kind of, and, and, and his daughter was a concubine to a Levite, it's like, okay, that's a good thing. Who, it doesn't say, it's not very a good thing to speculate too long when the Bible doesn't um, give the reason. Verse, d- verse 4, now his father-in-law, the young woman's um, father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. So detained doesn't mean he, like, locked them in a room. It just, he, look, I really, can you hang out and let's, um, let's get to know each other more and, and just the hospitality, he fed them and, and, and that type of thing. Verse, verse 5, then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. So he's trying to convince him to stay another night. So they sat down and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night and let your heart be merry. Verse 7 And when the man stood to depart, his father in law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father said to him, look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here, and that your heart may be merry." Tomorrow, go your way early so that you may get home. However, that man was not willing to spend that night, so he arose and departed and came opposite to Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. With him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with them. They were near Jebus, and the day was far spent, and the servant said to his master, Come, please, let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. Okay, so at this time, Jerusalem had not been uh, captured and taken over by the children of Israel. They, it was still occupied by the Jebusites, or a tribe of the Jebusites, the, um, and it was called Jebus at the time, and um, we had read earlier in the book of Joshua, but also in the book of Deuteronomy, where Israel was told, look if you do, you need to go in and you need to drive in uh, rather drive out and dispossess all the peoples of the land of Canaan lest they become a snare of sin to you but what did we see in the book of of Joshua repeatedly they disobeyed it was just too much work they didn't want to do it and so what we're going to see happen is the is 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 what Moses had told him was going to happen. What Joshua told him what was going to happen. These surrounding peoples who n- lived near them, the very thing that that uh, Moses and Joshua warned them about happened, and they 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 sank down to their level. Now, why didn't this man want to stay in Jerusalem? Because he knew the practices of the Jebusites, the Amorites, and they were. And I'm not using this in Boston parlance. They were wicked, 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 bad, and we're about to to, to see an, an example. But he knew what was inside that city because it was not a city of the children of Israel yet. It would not be permanently occupied until David would come at Joab uh, and uh, would would go into the city and take it over, and and and. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, the rest of the story is <laughs> the whole Bible about uh, Jerusalem. But uh, hadn't been taken over uh, yet. And so uh, he doesn't want to stay there because he knows what they do inside this city. So let's continue. They were near. Uh, verse 12. But his master said to him, we will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel, we will go on to Gibeah. So he said to his servants, come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. So that means this particular city was a city of the Benjamites, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin Benjamites. And so he thinks, OK, I'll be safe in this city because these people have the word of God and they're the children of God or, 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 or something like that. He's thinking he's going to be safer uh, in this city. They turned aside there to go into lodge in Gibeah, and when they went, into the, went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field that evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. He was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler, meaning the old man and his concubine, in, of the city. And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? So he, meaning the Levite, said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem and Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am here. I went to Bethlehem and Judah. Now I am going to the house of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me into his house Although we have both strong fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant, and for the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into the house and gave fodder to the donkeys and they washed their feet and ate and drank. And so um, what you see here is a there was no hotels at that time, so it was just a common practice that uh, you go into a city and there would just be tremendous hospitality in the area. If you saw a stranger, you would probably go up to the stranger, get an idea of what they're like, but them invite them into your house. And there was the expectation that this Levite had, surely I'm a, I'm a child of Israel, I'm going to go into this, uh, I'm going to go into the city, I'll sit in the square and I'm brothers with these fellow Israelites, certainly someone is going to ask me in, but Benjamin, their Benjamite city and something particularly cruel and wicked had been happening to the Benjamites and um, no Benjamite asked them in. So what happens is an Ephraimite, which is Ephraim is another tribe of Israel, and they're coming really from the same same area, uh, comes to him. An old man comes to him and says, okay, you can just come into my house, but whatever you do, you don't want to stay here in the open square. Okay, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. And as they were enjoying themselves, verse 22 Suddenly, certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house and the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. Meaning that so we can have uh, sex with him, sodomize him. Verse 23, but the man... The master of the house went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubi- concubine. Let him bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please, but to this man do not do such a vile thing. Now, I don't know what's worse. What the men of the city wanted to do to this man, or what this old man says, he offers him his, that, that, that gang of, of men who, who have publicly expressed what they want to do. We want to have sex with that man who's in your, who came into your house. They publicly express what they're going to do. Obviously, these men are, are are have become twisted, have become uh, have become wicked men. They're they're way down the spiral of sin. The Bible says that in Romans chapter one, which we were uh, we've been in Romans in our church on, on Sunday morning. The very first chapter says it just begins with with um, not being thankful to God. And, and suppressing and hiding the truth about God. When God is telling us the truth, all creation rings out. Psalm 19 says, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. And it, it just begins with saying, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't want to really acknowledge God. I'd just like to be my own God and decide what I want to do. And it's not being thankful. then in Romans 1, we see this incredibly breathtaking spiral, downward spiral of sin. Well, the Benjamites have gotten way down there way down there on the downward spiral. And um, they, uh, it, it, it says there that they, uh, they surround the house. They want to, uh, to have sex with this man. But then, but then the, 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 this old man offers his own daughter. Okay, I'm sorry, but it gets worse. Verse 25, but the men would not heed him. They weren't interested in a woman. They wanted a man. So that man, meaning the Levite, took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go in. And so here you have A church worker, a Levite, men who had been consecrated, set apart by God to be workers at the temple, at the tabernacle, giving his concubine, which again, more than a mistress, less than a a, a legal wife at the time. The the children of concubines generally did not get an inheritance. But he's just giving her out to a gang of men, knowing what was going to happen. This is a church worker. And again, how does the book of Judges end? At that time, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, 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 and here's what's so important. Don't think for a second that the Israelites, the Benjamites, just woke up one day and started doing this stuff. It, it didn't, it, it, sin never starts like that. It, it, you know, when people come to me and, and someone has committed adultery, so oftentimes, they'll say, I just, don't, I, I just don't know what happened. I can't believe I did it. And, and, and I get around to, it in a loving way eventually, sometimes not so loving, come on, that's nonsense. It didn't just happen. Let's talk about the last year of your life. Let's talk about skipping church. Let's talk about going into compromised ears. Let's talk about you started talking um, with different women, um, you know, over the phone, and you said, oh, what's wrong with the platonic relationship? It started with with making compromises. That's what it always starts with. And so when a nation starts doing what is right in their own uh, own eyes rather than what's right in the Bible, it does, it, it starts with the, the smaller things, you know, and the Bible says the small foxes kill the vine. And, and so here you even have a church worker behaving the way he is behaving here. It says, um, then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where the, her master was uh, till it was light. When her master um, arose in the morning... Which man, he just went in and slept. I mean, is that crazy or what? This guy's sleeping? Well, this is going on? While his uh, concubine is outside? Being ravished by all the men there? When her master rose in the morning and opened the doors of the house, he went out to his, uh, go, uh, go his way. There was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. So some of you, as I read this, you're probably thinking about another story that happened in Genesis. Shout it out. Sodom and Gomorrah. Because it's, you know, it's a a similar thing where the two angels come in, they're staying at Lot's house. And, um, the men of the city came and wanted to have sex with with the two men who weren't men. They were angels. They didn't know it, but, um, the difference here, the difference is that these are God's people. These are the children of Israel. These are the, this is the nation who had been raised up by God. He called Abraham out from living a pagan life with his fathers and said, okay, I'm going to send you to a land that you do not know and made unconditional promises this is, these are the people who, in which there was the line of the Messiah. God had been nurturing them, saved them from Egypt, delivered them from Egypt, instructed them. Now, in the book of Joshua, remember, at the, uh, remember um, I know I've repeated this many times as we've been in the book of Judges, but uh, remember all those promises in the book of Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy I think it's Leviticus, is it 26? All those promises that were made to the children of Israel, You know, if you follow the Lord and love Him, you will prosper beyond your wildest imaginations. That happened in the book of Judges. But in those same places, and it would be Leviticus, I think, 27, also in Deuteronomy 28, it says, but if you don't, and you adopt the practices of the nations around you. You, you, uh, you, you will come to a place uh, uh, of great, grave danger, and you'll start doing the same ta- thing. And, and what's going to happen, uh, God, will, God will have no choice but to judge you at that time. What was going on in the land of Canaan in the in the nations that the the Israelites came and dispossessed or they dispossessed many of them remember don 't forget that four hundred and fifty years earlier, Abraham was promised that land, but God had told abraham you 're not going to get it now because the sin of the Amorites, the sin of the nations of this uh, uh, in this area has not reached its fullest. Well, that was 450 years before, but now it's reached its fullest, and it's really bad, and what has Israel done? You have a tribe here, the tribe of Benjamin, but not only Benjamin, we've already seen in the book of Judges, some of the other tribes. They've adopted, they, they intermarried, they've, they've adopted the practices of the nations around them, and they started doing the same thing. They, they, they you know, wh- what, what could be the worst thing of just fudging a little bit on the Bible. I mean, are we going to really be so strict? Come on! And, and it just started with something like that. Now, again, this is such a relevant message. Why? Because this is where we are in the United States of America. I mean, it abs- absolutely, positively is. And and I'm not here. I'm not here as a uh, religious fundamentalist type to just. Curse the world. Look how bad it is out there. You know, they're so horrible out there. God's going to judge them. No, because but for the grace of God go, I. I deserve the wrath of God. By the way, I was living prior to the fa- 24 years old when I started walking with the Lord. I was doing everything the world was doing. But God has set me apart. My I, I, I Set me apart for salvation. And, and I'm up here saying not that, you know, I. I I'm about to share a couple of things um, with you, and I'm not, saying, I, I, I'm not judging them in my heart as if I was any better than them. But what I am saying is, is that, that I'm called to do. I'm, I'm, I'm called as a teacher of God's word to warn the body of Christ about what can happen if we depart from the word of God. The answer is exactly what happened in the book of Judges. So I, I have an article in front of me. And we're going to get into uh, chapter 20. But this just gives you an idea. This just gives you an idea of what's going on today. And this whole concept now, which we're developing in this country, that the standard... The worldview is you just got to let people live and do what's according to whatever is right in their own eyes. So I don't know if you uh, realize this, but um, well, probably many of you know that Mormons practice polygamy and and that it actually happens uh, here in the United States of America. And um, a federal judge a few years ago struck down the polygamy law, so allowing families, at least in that particular district, allowing men to – to, um, to have multiple wives. And now we, kn- we know from the New Testament, in the New Testament, there's just very clear instruction. One man, one woman, but mo- probably more importantly, Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> we're, we're told uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we're told very specifically, one man, one woman, they become one flesh. You don't add another woman or another man or whatever. You don't do that. And so the standard of this country has always been when it came to the laws and what the law protects and what the law um, uh, is a proponent of is one man, one woman, no polygamy. So I'm reading here a CNN article and it's uh, written, it's posted, it's published by CNN, but it's, it's written by an Episcopal priest by the name of Danielle Timinio. And this is what she says. When I heard a federal, now this is an Episcopal priest, a Christian priest. Think Levite in the book of Judges. More than one. We, we, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a different Levite. Here's another Levite. Just think Levite in the book of Judges. Today, it's an Episcopal church, which is the church that I grew up in as a young boy. That's why I did not know the Lord, because the church wasn't, didn't teach the word of God. So an Episcopal priest, this is what she says. When I heard a federal judge struck down part of the Utah's polygamy law just last week, I gave a little squeal of delight. To be clear, I'm an episcopal priest, not a polygamist. But I've met the family who uh, brought the suit, and these people changed how I think about plural marriage. Before I met the Browns, made famous by the reality television show Sister Wives. Ha- I had the reaction of most modern day Christians who would have uh, who would have to that lifestyle. Polygamy hurts. Women. It offers girls a skewed perspective of who they can be. It happens on cultish compounds. It's abusive. Yet, when the Browns show debuted, I began to question some of those assumptions. And when I had the opportunity to meet them a few years ago, I questioned them further. And getting to know Cody, Mary, Janelle, Christine, and Robin, and their children... I saw that these parents were extremely invested in raising girls and boys who were empowered to get an education, become independent thinkers, and have a moral compass. Since meeting the Browns, I have become a supporter of them and their lifestyle, though I certainly can understand why others remained um, opposed. But it's crucial to remember that when done well, Polygamy works because the participants have different goals for marriage than monogamous couples. Most Americans believe that marriage is for purposes of cultivating intimacy between two people, both sexual and emotional. But for the Browns, that takes a distant second to the goal of cultivating a community that together can reach heaven. In a different way of thinking, it's a different way of thinking about marriage and family, but it's not inherently an abusive one. Ultimately, I support the decision to loosen restrictions on polyg- polygamy because families such as the Browns exist who endeavor um, every day to live kind, healthy lives that are not harmful or abusive. In other words, she's saying that look, they're living kind, healthy lives that are not harmful or abusive. We should make it legal, and 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 then it ends this way. Finally, you know, they like us; they want to practice their faith, and as long as that practice is in the service of cultivating loving, healthy relationships that strives to honor God and neighbor, I believe it is possible for even non polygamous Christians, such as myself, to support their calling, and that's a Levite writing. Now, if I had never been saved and been given the Holy Spirit, I, I, with all my heart, I believe I would have bought into that argument because it sounds very persuasive. I mean, if it's consensual and the, and, and the women, the multiple women married to the one man, if they're, all, if they're adults and they're consenting adults and everything looks okay, come on, who am I? Am I going to be a religious bigot and, and legislate morality? Who am I to do that? You see, see there is a certain wisdom to it. It's, it's a worldly wisdom. It's, it's, it's not the spirit of God, though. But you can understand why a society just little by little by little caves in because there's a certain reason to it. Now, what this Episcopal priest doesn't really understand because I do not believe, well, I, 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 I can't imagine she's a regenerate believer, uh, a born-again believer. I cannot imagine that, but I, I, I suppose anything's possible. But, but uh, what she doesn't understand, she, she, she doesn't understand, she's not well-read well read in the book of Judges. Because you start, you start going in that direction, and eventually what you're going to have is people treating women in a degrading, foul way, like that Levi did when he just treated her as so much property. Jesus was the greatest feminist in the history of the world. He freed and liberated women. Are we really going to take away from the freedoms that Jesus Christ himself gave to women and go to start a practice like that? no we don 't want to go there now. we know that the only solution in, the, in this country is a revival right I mean, we do know that yeah at, at w- we can oppose this kind of legislation um, we can uh, we can submit laws and we can c- encourage Christians to be in office and we absolutely should but ultimately, when you have a, si- a a a portion of the population that doesn't have the spirit of God and they're already in this direction of completely relying on this worldview that says, look, you let people live according to what they think is right in their own eyes, It's only going to go downward unless we have a revival, which I believe, I believe there's going to be another revival. I really do believe that. And I believe that we're we're, we're going to participate in it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, again, let's get, get into chapter 20. But, look, my, my, my goal is not to have everyone come to, to, to a church service to depress you. <laughs> you. You know, there's so much joy in the Lord. Psalm 16 says, at the right hand of God, there are joys forevermore. But it's so important. You guys are missionaries. Do you know that? You are missionaries. You are going to be in these conversations at your schools, at your jobs, in, in your neighborhoods. And when people start bringing up these very reasonable sounding arguments, you got to, uh, First Peter says, you got to have a defense prepared for the word of God. To say, look, that didn't work in the Bible when, we, w- when they went in that direction and and uh, so i don't, i don't believe our country should be going in that direction and by the way it may be a good opportunity for you to get into to sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them and their need for salvation so that's you know the the bible the bible has the book of judges for a reason and uh i just submit to you that in the united states of america it's a very relevant book today so um listen this isn't this stuff is not easy for me to preach on, so <laughs> pray for me when I'm up here. Uh, chapter 20. So this is, so what happens, this, this Levite is so outraged what happened to his concubine. Of course, it's his fault, but, but uh, it, 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 he's so outraged what they did. He sends a piece of her limb, a leg to one tribe, a leg to another tribe, a hand, you know, an arm, an arm, a head, whatever. I mean, it's just disgusting and wicked. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but it is, it's, it, it's the word of God, and it's here for um, a reason. Um, he sends it out to all the children of Israel, and by the grace of God, the other 11 tribes hadn't reached the point that the Benjamites had, and they were outraged, and they realized they had to do something about it. So let's read on. Chapter 20, verse 1, so all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead, and the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah, Mizpah, and the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now, the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. Then the children of Israel said, um, said, tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So they go and interview the Levite, the man who gave up his daughter. And he's about to give um, what's called a half-truth. He's protecting his, his own skin here. Um, anyway, <laughs> so the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, my concubine and I went into Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They in- intended to kill me, but instead they ravaged ravished my concubine so that she died. So I and so obviously leaving out some fairly important facts here, like the fact that he gave her to them. <laughs> But, but uh, anyway, so I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, sent her throughout all the territory the inheritance of Israel because the, they committed um, lewdness and outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So you guys, are you going to do something about this? Verse 8, so all the people arose as one man, saying, none of us will go to His tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take 10 men out of every 100 hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a 100 out of every thousand, and and 1,000 out of every 10,000 to make provisions for the people that when they come to Gibeah in Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So that you have 11 tribes going up against the one tribe. Now, um, quickly, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, which we were in sometime last year, there is a law that Moses gave the people of Israel. And this is from Deuteronomy chapter 13. It says, if you hear someone in any of your cities after you get in and you occupy um, Canaan, which the Lord your God gives you, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of that city. Hey, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall diligently inquire, search out, and if it is is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword utterly destroying it. So what you see in Judges, I believe, is just that. They are obeying Deuteronomy 13. Although no mention is made here that the Benjamins had followed other gods, be sure that's what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what it happened. Um, they had happened. Uh, they had not dispossessed the nations that were practicing to foreign gods around them, and they had adopted their practices, and it led to this be. And so, all the army, um, all the 11 tribes are going to come in, and they are going to do what Deuteronomy 13 said. They're going to destroy this one city. So, all the, verse 11, so all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now, therefore, deliver up the men, the perverted men, who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the e- evil from Israel. So what they're doing here is, is they're they're appealing to the rest of the Benjamites and all the other cities. Hey, look, this is what happened. Deliver up the guilty people, and we'll put those people to death. But you know, we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to make this a, a war against all the Benjamites. Come on, do the right thing. And just. And just uh, deliver over the, the guilty people. At the end of verse 13, it says, But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who numbered 700 select men. Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Those lefties always have an advantage. So what Benjamin does here, the, the, the rest of the cities and tribes of Benjamin... What they do is instead of just admitting, look, part of the problem, you know, wh- wh- what they do is instead of just saying, look, you know, this is a problem, our, 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 our brothers and sisters in, in, in Gibeah, again, there's no mention of sisters, so I'm sorry women, there's just brothers in Gibeah uh, have committed this evil thing. And so, you know, let's just give them over to this army because they are guilty no they didn't do that what did they do they gave in to a carnal sense of patriotism that's what they did they you know that that carnal sense of loyalty and 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 you know I, i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this <laughs> but but in this country today, there is a danger of a lo- of exalting patriotism, your love of your country, to the same place as your love of God. And that's what the Benjam- Benjamites did. Now, Charles Spurgeon, probably the most quoted evangelical pastor amongst the pulpits and in, in born-again churches uh, across uh, the the this country, he said this, and this is a gutsy statement. This is a gutsy statement by Mr. Spurgeon. He says this, Patriotism is one of the highest of the world's virtues, yet it is only a magnificent selfishness by which one contends for one's country instead of being subject to the far more generous thought of caring for all men and caring for God. Now, that that statement will get you in one heap of trouble in a lot of pulpits in this country. (laughs) But it's true. The the Bible does say, unquestionably, that 1 Peter says we need to honor the king uh, in Romans chapter thirteen, it says that we need to honor our authorities and obey them and certainly um, i 'm fifty six years old but if this country goes to war and i 'm called i i 'm going to go I, I, you know if we 're if we're, fighting against whatever another Hitler or whatever i 'm going but what you what, what you don't what the Church of Jesus Christ doesn 't want to do is leaven Leaven and poison the church by, exal- by by exalting country to the level of God. I, I went to a large prayer gathering, a couple, a very large one in Boston Common a, a few years ago, and they were handing out flags of the United States. And I just had, and, and they were all waving. Everyone was there waving, and the person leading the prayer thing was waving, and I had, I had big time issues with that. Considering what is going on in our country, I mean, I, I don't get it. I, I, I think there, th- there, is, there is a very healthy separation of church and state. We need to honor the state. And I'm not saying for a second that we we shouldn't have prayer in schools and things like that. I think we should. But we need to be very careful of how the church allows itself to be infected by the government. And, and, and so that's what happens here. The, 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 Benjamites, the Benjamites, instead of going to the word of God, they yield to their patriotic spirit. Verse 17. Now, bes- besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, they said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Judah first. So the Lord is behind attacking the city. It gets out of Deuteronomy 20, uh, 13. They're just obeying it. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against Uh, Them at Gibeah and then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. Wow. I mean you might think. That just go up against the Benjamins once they're they're wicked and God is telling the Israelites to go. You would think that there would just be one battle. No. 22,000. Israelites fall. And the Benjamites, these people who were coming to the aid of this really wicked city, these very wicked men, wind up killing 22,000, a massive defeat here. Verse 22, and the people, that is, the men of um, Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day then the children of Israel went up and wept before the lord until evening and asked counsel of the lord saying shall i again draw near for battle against the children of my brother benjamin notice how they're calling notice how they're calling benjamin their brother they're related to these guys this is this is civil war this is this is um, causing I- incredible pain in their heart to have to do this. And the Lord said, "And of verse twenty three, go up against him." So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on that second day, and Benjamin went out again uh, against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground eighteen thousand more of the children of Israel, all these that drew the sword. Wow, I mean, wh- wh- why is the God allowing this? the bad guys are winning the war verse 26 then on then all the children of Israel that is all the people went up and came to the house of god and wept i believe that's a clue as to what's going on they're weeping before the lord They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord the ark of the covenant of God, and there in those days Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Then Israel set ambush uh, all around Gibeah, and the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people as at the other times in the highways one of which goes from Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their places and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. And 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce, but the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites, all these drew the sword. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush when they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. Verse 40, but when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamins looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, The men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, and whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were men of valor Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon, and they cut down five thousand of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gidom, and killed two thousand of them. So all who fell of Benjamin that day were twenty-five thousand men who drew the sword. All were men of valor. But six hundred men turned and fled towards the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon. And they stayed at the Rock of Rimmon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all were found. They also set fire to all the cities they came to. Huh. So we're gonna we're gonna stop there. Eddie, if you could. Um, come up. We're going to end here with prayer. But again, anytime you come in and I was praying this tonight, Lord, I just please pray for the people and I pray this for my own heart. That it would just be surrendered to the Lord. Because this is the word of God. And while this is not the kind of book I would want to have a daily diet of 365 days a year. Oh, man, does this do a good work in my heart. You know why? It just want, makes me want to pray for the church. Maybe it was a member, it was a Levite who was doing a lot of these things, a church worker. It makes me want to pray for a country. It, it it makes me want to pray for myself that I would just have boldness and and not Capitulate, not not give ground, when I'm in a public setting and there's a conversation, and 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 because we don't want to be a part of the downward spiral, we want to be. You ever see that T-shirt with the you know the fish going against? There's all these fishes going downstream, and there's one upstream. This really is a biblical a biblical image. We want to be those people. So what I'd like to do right now is we, as, we, as we finish up, by the way, th- we're just about at Ruth. I mean, g- the Holy Spirit knew we needed a Ruth after Judges, right? Because Ruth is just, oh, it's so heartwarming, and there's movies about Ruth, and it's, oh, name your kid Ruth or Naomi, you know, th- these type of things. Uh, uh, Boaz, I kind of have a grandchild named Bo. I mean, it's close, but not Obadiah. But, but anyway, um. um God knew we needed Ruth, and that's coming up. And, and then the, the great story of, uh, of Samuel. But we don't, we, we don't necessarily want to just speed through this very important book. It's so relevant to where we are today. So let's g- break up into uh, groups of four or five right now. Can we do that? And just pray directly to the Lord. Get on your knees if you'd like. And just pray, number one, for yourself, God, God. Let me be the person, let me not be the person who is swimming downstream. Let me, If people are swimming downstream, let me be uh, as a prophet to, to, to give warning, to be bold. I'm chicken, Lord. I'm a chicken. Help me. Cry that out. Oh, and in addition to that, in your prayer groups, just pray for the church, our church, Calvary Chapel in the City. That we would be true to the word of God, but also for this church here, the Boston Evangelical uh, Ethiopian Evangelical Church, the same thing for this church that that we're here, the like-minded brothers. It's been such a, uh, it's so so great. I, d- I met with a pastor. Uh, we had um, coffee a couple weeks ago. Just great man of God, and so are the elders. So pray for this church. But then the whole body of Christ, and then lastly, let's pray for just America. Can we do that in the in the state of things here? that um, revival would come and this whole worldview that the nation is adopting almost to what it's just so infectious that just let everyone live according to what is right in their own lives that that would be turned back. So chapter 21. Now remember that where we left off last week there had been an indescribably terrible crime by the tribe of Benjamin in the city of the Benjamite city of Gibeah and we saw basically that city and some of their behavior looked like the behavior of Sodom at the time of Abraham Where a man comes into the city, he comes in with his concubine. Someone invites them into their house and an old man invites them into their house. It says the men of the city gather around and cried out. Let the man come out that we may know him carnally, just like. The situation with uh, the two angels going into Sodom when they uh, wouldn't stop. Eventually, the concubine gives over his, uh, rather, the the man gives, uh, the visitor to Gibeah gives over his concubine to this raging crowd and they rape her all night. And in the morning, she is dead. And he goes back to his city. He divides her up into 12 parts. And sends one to each of the tribes of Israel and said, basically, you guys need to figure out what to do about this crime. And there's a, so all of Israel goes up against Benjamin and it says that um, 25,000, eventually 25,000 Benjamites, Benjamite men were killed and that. We read in verse 47 of chapter uh, Judges chapter 20, it says that but 600 men turned and fled towards the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon and stayed there four months. So basically 600 men left out of all the tribe of Benjamin. Now, if you go to the end of the book of Numbers, there was a census there. There was actually a census at the beginning of Numbers which took A census of all the the men basically coming out of Egypt. But then there was another census about 39 years later um, of their children. And uh, they're one of the smallest tribes. Um, We don't know exactly when Judges 19 and 20 take place, this great crime that had happened, and this civil war had happened. But uh, there were Uh, considerably about a third less people from the time of the book of Numbers. And that just probably just as a result of sin, sin is unhealthy. The nation as a whole of Israel was sinning with reckless abandon and their population had dwindled. But now there's only 600 men left. And uh, that's where we pick up in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizbah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to, to Benjamin as a wife. Meaning before they went into war, they basically said, Look, what these people have done is so evil. We're going to go in and kill their men. And uh, uh, g- go in and kill their uh, men. And um, just as sort of a, an assurance in case there's any Benjamins left, we're going to commit here that we're not going to give any of them, uh, any of our daughters, uh, as as a wife, and 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 that's what you call uh, yet another uh, that that would be an oath, kind of like the oath of Jephthah, a foolish oath made in zeal, which they would regret later, and so. Uh, There's a problem here, and we'll read about it now. Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, verse 3, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel, that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So they're very upset that a tribe has almost been wiped out. The, and, and what i find what, what I find very significant here is that um you know one of the things and i don 't think my 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 incredibly faithful wife reminded me that i di- didn't didn 't cover this last week. remember they went in to battle with Benjamin um, initially they asked God should we go bat- battle with them and they lost. In fact, they went in twice. Didn't they go twice and lose? I think they went in twice and they lost. Or maybe it was just once. I don't remember. But the point was is that why would God have them lose? Why would God have them lose this battle? They told they asked God, "Should we should we go up against Benjamin or not?" And he said, "Go up." And then they lost. Well, how many men was it in Israel that died? Over 20,000 Um, People had died, and uh, so the question is, is why? I believe the answer, it was, what happened next to the children of Israel? Anyone remember? What did they do? Come on, shout it out. Who was here last week? What did they do after they lost? Matt Conan, what did they do? they They cried out to the Lord. They cried out. They were, you see, the whole nation, all twelve. Benjamin had gotten to a, a low, low, low place. But the whole, all twelve tribes were were in a very, very low place. They hadn't been crying out to the Lord. They hadn't been worshiping Jehovah. But now, they 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 experienced this huge loss. They were crying out to the Lord, and I believe that was the reason. That God had them lose because it was a judgment, really, on the whole nation. This war, it was a judgment on the whole nation. You know, I was a history major, and 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 one of the things that um, um, is curious is why, at the beginning of World War II, um, are there so many are there defeats? You know, on the part of uh, of the Allied forces, or going back to the Civil War. The north went into battle and the issue really had become, it really was slavery. They suffered terrible defeats at the beginning of the war. The the North had why if if it's a righteous war and God is leading them to do battle there why does that happen well you you know in the Civil War slavery had been right in the United States as I explained a few years ago slavery had been practiced in the North as well and in some respects there were the violations against humanity were worse the Civil War was a judgment against the whole country and I I I texted. um, Uh, uh, Pastor Serge this week uh, who who is just experiencing very difficult things in Haiti. Like, why is this happening? Including to the Christian community there. I texted them the the second um, inaugural address of Abraham Lincoln which is just all basically practically the whole thing is scripture in which Abraham Lincoln says, look, if every single person in this country has to die because of the Grievous sins that we have committed, righteous altogether are the judgments of the Lord. (laughs) And and, and, and so um, uh, God's dealing with everybody. And so He's dealing with the nation of Israel. But um, I I find it very, very interesting that they take this foolish oath prior to ever engaging Benjamin in battle. We won't even, we're going to kill all of them. If any of them are left, we're not going to give any of our daughters to them. But after, after, after that season, not only remember of battling, but they were crying out to the, to the Lord. Um, I believe it says um, that they fasted all day. After that first loss, the children of Israel, after that first loss, where they, ex- uh, the 11 tribes, where they experienced all those tens of thousands of, of casualties, they were fasting. They were crying out to the Lord. And now. After they defeat Benjamin, they have tender hearts and they're upset. Before, it seemed like they were fine if Benjamin, uh, the Benjamites' name was annihilated from, from history. Now they realize this is not a good thing. And it says in verse 3, God, how, how has this come to pass that there should be missing a whole tribe? You see why God has us go through afflictions. He wants us to get to the point where our hearts are tender before Him, and so really, it's it's a it's a beautiful picture there. And even though this is the Book of Judges, where most of the time we're seeing terrible behavior, they had been humbled tremendously here. They had been humble, hum, you know, humbled tremendously, and uh, you know, the Bible says of the Lord, it says that. Um, in Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. And it's, it, it, you know, God God loves this kind of unity. He loves this heart. Uh, my wife, Stephanie, and I are, are just recently read uh, in First, Second Chronicles um, about Ahaz, a very wicked king in Judah, um, it was after the civil war, another civil war that would happen where there was a split in the nation of Israel between the two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah, and then the ten tribes went to the north, um, and 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 uh, they were completely different kingdoms with different kings, and in the north, every single king was wicked, every single one. There was never a good king in, in the north, in the south there were many good kings, Hezekiah, Josiah, Asa, Asa, um, Uzziah. Uh, But in the north, there was never any good kings. And it was really interesting because at one point, the ten tribes in the north, they come down and they defeat Ahaz, the wicked king in Judah. And then they take a whole bunch of people uh, as as captives, as slaves. And they start heading back to the north, and a prophet shows up and rebukes them. And he says, the wrath of God is over you. You're taking your brethren. You're taking your brethren. And you are going to enslave them. And so they let them all go. They actually clothed them. I think they gave them food and let them all go back to Judah. And so much does the Lord love unity that even, even with the wickedness of the Benjamites, even with the wickedness of Israel at the time of Ahaz. At the time of Ahaz, Ahaz shut up the temple. He put a block over it. No one could go in. Everyone was worshiping idols. God still wanted that unity there. And it does make me, you know, it, it convicted me as, I, as I'm re- reading these passages. Sometimes you see uh, churches with the name Christian over them, and they're they seemingly they've gotten to the place where they're, they're doing things that, that the Bible says are so wicked. I need to be very careful what my heart is for them be, be, because, you know, the Lord, you know, I read these passages and uh, he, he'll take care of them. I don't have to take care of them by, by hating them in my heart. The Lord will do his thing. And so they're crying out, what are we going to do? The, the, this, this, we we've pledged not to give our daughters to the Benjamites. Uh, and so let's read what they do here. This is an odd story, um, but let's read it. Verse 4. So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly of the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizba saying, he shall be put to death. So this is what's going on here. Let's try to find some men who did not make this oath and um, maybe they you know, may, maybe we can find some men who did not make this oath and we can take their daughters. Because they had made an oath that everyone in the nation, every man in the nation, in, in the uh, 11 tribes needs to go to war against the Benjamites and if any of them didn't show up, we're going to put them to death. And so, I you know, it's crazy, um, but uh, th- this is what life was like during the period of Judges. Uh, and it says, it says here in verse 6, And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tri- tribe is, cried out, is cut off from Israel. What shall we do for wives for those who remain, seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them um, our daughter as wives? And they said, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. So they identified this one area which was east of the Jordan where none of the men there joined them in their battle against the Benjamites. Verse 9, and when the people were counted, indeed, not one of them one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out their 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. So I'm not justifying this behavior in any way, but that's what they did. They went to this one area where the men... You could say chickened out. They betrayed their brethren. They didn't go to war against the Benjamites. And they killed all their men. And they're going to steal all their daughters. So verse 10. so, So the congregation sent out. There 12,000 of their valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. Meaning, you're going to kill everyone except for virgins. Verse 12. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the Rock of Rimen, and announced peace to them. Remember, there were 600 of these Benjamites who had not been killed. They're hiding out. By this time, the, the, the other 11 tribes has a heart that's tender towards them, even though that they, they were their enemies for, uh, for for a season there, and it says verse fourteen. So Benjamin came back at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the m- women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. So they're like, oh no, four hundred women is not enough t- uh, for the these Benjamin Benjamites to repopulate. They'd only gotten 400 women. There's 200 uh, men without a wife. And so, uh, verse 15, And the people grieved for Benjamin because uh, the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Uh, Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for the wise, for those who remain, since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. So they're, they're really grieving. Uh, they don't want Israel to be the, twel- the 11 tribes of Israel. They want Israel to remain as the 12 tribes of Israel. They're grieving for their 12th uh, tribe uh, there. And they say, where was I in verse 17? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. Verse 18, however, we cannot give them wives from our own daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, in fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, the south of Lebanon. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin saying, go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyard and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall be, When their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain, that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sake, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the woman to them at at this time, making yourselves guilty um, of your oath. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught, Then they went and returned to the inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So if I could just explain like there have been in many parts of history I don't know for all I know that they still do this type of thing in the United States I'm sure they do somewhere Uh, I'm finding out strange things that happen in pockets of the United States all the time although this is is actually it's not I only call it strange because I an American living in 2019 for many parts of history they would have these festivals where they have these festivals and, and 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 Men and women come together to, uh, to in order to, it's, it's a form of matchmaking. It's a form of matching um, uh, men and women to be husband and wives. And this happens throughout his, history, particularly in rural communities where there's really no opportunity for the opposite sexes to mix during the year. So they'd have these festivals. One of the festivals, they just send the women out in the vineyards and then they say, okay, guys, go for it. And they go out and they find a woman that looks good to them, and that's it. They're, they get married. And so they had this festival every year. And uh, since the, children, the 11 tribes had sworn that no man could give them a daughter, they come up with this convoluted... Interpretation of not violating their oath. That's the that's the problem with legalism. That's the problem with um, doing foolish oaths. Then you wind up doing just goofy, weird things to get out of them, uh, and, and that's essentially what this is. And they tell the fathers of the uh, the fathers of the daughters who are going into the vineyards, "Hey, since you technically don't know, you're technically not giving your your daughter to a Benjamite because." Really, someone else could get them, you know, uh, it, and, and you're not really a part of it. It's, again, it's, if it looks weird to you, it should because it's, it's like a strange way of them um, not violating their oath. Um, and that's, again, the problem with foolish oaths. But the, 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 the last 200 Benjamites get their wives and then it says that they go back and they rebuild their city And um, I'm glad they did, because if they didn't, we wouldn't have who was a Benjamite. Shout it out. And don't say Saul. Don't say, I'm sorry, don't say Saul, uh, uh, the first king of Israel. Right, thank you. The Apostle Paul was a Benjamite, and um, there were other Benjamites, too, who did uh, many great things for, for the Lord. So they... Um, of course, we will see Saul, who is uh, uh, not a very good king, but um, he's going to come from the tribe of Benjamin as well. But uh, an amazing thing here uh, uh, that of, of what repentance w- will do when God allows affliction of those 11 tribes, um, they actually um, wept and cried and acted upon to make sure that Benjamin um, was restored. But of course, the book ends with, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was uh, right in his own eyes. And uh, the whole book of Judges, just a warning to us in the year 2019 of what will happen if we do that as a church, because we saw towards the end of the book of Judges Religious, what happens in religion with, with with the, uh, with the uh, the story of Micah, uh, what happens uh, in religion when everyone does what is right in their own eyes, and then with the story of Benjamin the Benjamites, what happens just morally if everyone does what is right in his own eyes, and um, a, a great warning uh, for us today, just to continue in. The word of God. So uh, praise the Lord. We are we've made it through the book of Judges and the Lord did just a wonderful work in my heart as we went through that book. And I hope he did in yours as well.